Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us today on Friend of God, brought to you by Friendship Baptist Church in Sturgis, Mississippi. It is our goal every week to bring the Word of God to as many people as possible. We pray that you enjoy today's message, but more importantly, we pray that it changes your heart and provokes life change and action. God bless, and please listen from your heart. Enjoy. You shall not murder Exodus 20.13. Thank you, Mr. Easton Crocker, this morning. He read our verse for today. And today we'll, we'll be looking at what uh, Trevor's already alluded to in the video, and then Easton read, You shall not murder. So we've been looking through the successive steps of the Ten Commandments, trying to understand them better, trying to get a better grasp on what they mean, what they're saying, what they meant for the audience of that day, but what they can mean for us today. And as we take out all the truths that are in here, my hope is that you're making application in your life. Now in this, in this passage here, it, it leads us to understand in this commandment, it is concerning our own and our neighbor's life. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not do anything hurtful or injurious to the health, ease, and life of thine own body or any others unjustly. So these on here harkens back to the understanding in Genesis, as, as Trevor said. God created us. God created us in His image. So God has a divine purpose for His creation. And so if we truly understand and believe that we were created for a purpose, we were created in His image, then we have to have a high value of human life. And part of that means for all life. We have to have a high value of human life. That means for the youngest of the young to the oldest of the old, we have to have regard for human life. That means for our neighbors, for our friends, for those we've never met, we have to have a value for human life because God created us. He created us unique. We are all unique. Some are more unique than others, I think. But uh, we are all unique, and we are created for a purpose. We are not just here to take up space in our lifetime until it's time for us to go. We are here for a God-ordained time as this. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning, uh, we're going to look at the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 8 through 16. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 16, deals with the storyline of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers, but they were not equal in heart. They had some heart-related issues. They had some issues that were causing them to, uh, to either step towards Christ or to be angry or to, to have such malice for their brother. So it was a very much a, a jealousy kind of thing going on. And these are all typical of this understanding we're seeking after this morning. So in Genesis 4, 8 through 16, it says this, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's an important question. So he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is trying to 
is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You'll be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So you can see in that passage that there was, uh, there was a relational issue. These two, these two young men, they brought their very best to the Lord. One of them did, at least. They brought their first fruits to the Lord. One of them did. And then the other one, because God did not look at what He brought as favorable, or He didn't bring His very best, He became jealous. And as He became jealous, He rose up. And it's important to notice that, that it says that His blood is, is crying out. What does that mean for you and I? In that sense, is there anything hidden from God? Can we hide from God? Can we hide what we've done from God? If we say, we didn't do it, does that mean we didn't do it? No. In fact, within this passage, it very much is, okay, God says, He says to God, I, di I didn't do anything to my brother. Am I my brother's keeper? God says, I know what you've done. I know where you've been, and I know what's happened. And because of this, there are consequences. But there's still some things I'd like to do in your life. See, God takes him and continues to work in his life. There has to be some understanding that nothing is hidden from God. So Cain and Abel, we see that most oftentimes when, when people are looking to illustrate this commandment that thou shalt not kill, they quote Cain and Abel because it directly illustrates the corruption of someone's heart. So secondly, we see that there's a corruption of the heart and there's a propensity to sin. Where does sin start? In the garden, right? What happened in the garden? In the garden, Adam and Eve, they chose to take of the fruit. They wanted to know what God knew. They wanted their minds expanded, so to speak, and they wanted to be as knowledgeable as they could. But let's not forget, the evil one came in. And so corruption came as a part of that. And I, and I think about it, and I, I let my mind wander sometimes, what was the consequence for the evil one represented there as a serpent? That he would crawl on his belly for the rest of his days? Can you imagine, did they have legs at some point and run around? That's what I'm thinking. You know, snakes are bad enough without having legs and running around. But, um, but you think about it in this sense. There were consequences for sin. Separation from God. They had the perfect utopia and they had a place that they could worship God in everything that they did. They, they, in fact, walked with God in the cool of the evenings, and so they tried to hide their sin. And the fact that they, once they partook of that, they knew they were, they were naked. So that kind of went down to that point, to Cain and Abel, which were their children, right? So that kind of went down that, that part. So sin has been a part of the human stories ever since the beginning 
when Adam and Eve chose to be a part of that, there's been a sin need in our life that we have either indulged or we have dealt with by turning over to God in a corruption of the heart. See, there, I think a lot of times we say, well, why is the world the way it is? Or we start looking at media sources or we look at, at, at our newspaper or we try to find and look at all of what's going on in the world, and we say, well, how bad have things gotten? How many people are doing things that, that aren't godly? Well, we can't. You and I can't expect people who don't know God to act like they know God, can we? People who are so indebted in their sin, they might know about God, but there's a difference when you and I know about God and when He resides in our heart as Lord and Savior. There's a difference when... God has taken over somebody's life and they are so much changed from the way they used to be. There's a difference when God takes the corruption that's in our heart and nails it to the cross through Jesus Christ and gives us the hope, the release from that sinfulness. The debt is paid in full. There's a difference when we fully understand and engage that. So I believe there's a corruption of the heart and there's a leading to sin in this world, and most people say it's just easier to do what everybody else does, or, or maybe I look at the world or even the church as being judgmental because I don't want to change the things that, that I'm doing, and I don't feel like there's a way of forgiveness for the things which I have done. And I've talked to people throughout the walk of life, people who, who are you know just those who think just a small lie doesn't, doesn't do anything, to those who have been in the worst prisons in America, who believe that they can't do anything to escape it. I've also talked to people who regard their life as important. And so every day they want to be better for God than they were before. And I've seen that in the general public, and I've also seen that in the prisons of America, where some are in prison and they know what they've done, and they've sought out forgiveness for that. And the funniest thing is, is to talk to somebody who's in a maximum security prison and says what? I am a missionary to the others around me. So it's a, it's a posture of the heart when we approach God. Where we are, what we've done, pales in comparison to who God is and what He can do. I've seen God change lives unlike any other. And I know that if He can change the most corrupt of the corrupt, then He can change you and me, right? He can lead our hearts and change us and guide and direct us and forgive us from all kinds of atrocities that we engage in. So thirdly, the value of life. The value of life is one of those things that's often debated today, isn't it? And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the beginning of life or we're talking about those that are older in life trying to get the same health care and care that others get. It doesn't matter what we look at. There's a value that has to be on life. It's debated today whether, whether it's accepted or opposition towards things like abortion and, and other things that are happening today. And you say, well, how could we accept those things? How could we ever think those things are okay? The corruption of the heart and the propensity to sin. We've got to understand life has value. All life has value in that sense. I don't care if you, 
you were just conceived yesterday or you're at the end of your life, your life matters because Christ created us. He breathed life into us. And when we acknowledge the sin in our lives, He is mighty to save us. So we all come into this world in a posture and a, and a leaning to sin. But the value of life is so important. The value of life is, is, is so vital. You think about illustrations given in the, in the Bible where it says um, the parables and, and others that where Jesus says and illustrates the 99 and the 1. You might say, well, well that 1's unimportant. There are 99 over here. They're, the 1 is not as important. So what if 1 gets away? That's okay. And in our logic of humanness, we would say, okay, that's okay. Until we're that 1. Until we're that one that, that we are so corrupt and lost and we are separated and we are in need of a Savior who values us enough to die for us at our worst. Until we're that one where we say, God couldn't possibly love me. And God demonstrates His love for us by giving of His life for us, for you, for me. And that value set on that day says that you and I are loved by God even when we're not loving of ourselves. We are loved by God when we have done so much wrong. And you even see within the Old Testament landscape what happens. The people of God believe in foreign gods and worship idols. They are on exile or they deal with the consequences of that. But he says, if you, if you, my people, would turn from your wicked ways, then I would heal your land. If you, my people, would just turn from what you're doing, then I will bring you back to the place that you can be restored and do great things for me. So even in the worst of the worst, God can do something if we turn our hearts to Him. So I truly believe it's a heart issue that we have. Fourthly, we see this and we look at the topic of murder. And I truly believe this. Ultimately... Ultimately, murder dishonors our Creator God, dismisses the salvation of Jesus, and disregards the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that to you one more time in case you're a note taker. Ultimately, it dishonors our Creator God, dismisses the salvation of Jesus, and disregards the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reality, if you read all of those things and heard that statement, you might say, well, what hope is there? The truth of the matter is this. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. There's always hope in the power of the Holy Spirit that has the ability to change the hardest of hearts and the darkest of souls and forgive them from not just one iniquity or one transgression or one thing, he can forgive us from all things. And yeah, we remember what we've done, don't we? We remember all of what we've done in our life. But that no longer has a strong hold on us. Because I believe when He sets us free, we are free indeed. Some other scriptures where it brings into focus, and you might want to jot these down. Genesis 9, 6, it says this, Whoever sheds man blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for the, in the image of God he made man. So that's Genesis 9, 6. 
Exodus 21.12 says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 24.17 If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. Then Matthew 5.21 says this, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Romans 13, 9 says, For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.11, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See, I don't believe you can love your neighbor. I don't believe you can love others. I don't believe you can love God if you have hate in your heart. I don't believe you can because God is love. So having those things in our heart separates us from God. Doing all of these things, these sins in our life, separate us from God's plan. The only way, the only path, the only means that we can accept God's plan for our life is through the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's always been the answer to God and God brought to us. The answer to life and life's struggles and life's hardships we are not condemned, but we are made th free through Jesus Christ. But it's something that we've got to understand and accept in our own life. There's an illustration given about this in a, in a periodical called Moody Monthly. It's talking about the Ten Commandments. In a certain Sunday school, the superintendent of the youth department was surprised to find that the offering which was placed outside the door of the department room had not been reaching the treasurer. A little checking revealed that one member of the department had been slipping out of the door and pocketing the offerings. The same boy, just a few months before, had won the award for learning the greatest number of Bible verses, including the Ten Commandments. When confronted with the wrongdoing, he saw no relationship between taking the offerings and the commandments he had memorized. He hadn't really learned them. We have to let this stuff that we hear the leadings of God, the leadership of God, the words of God reach our heart. So I want us to, as we close, to consider our heart. To consider our heart. Physiologically, a compromised heart causes issues for all functions and faculties of the human body. When your heart is not running as it should, everything is affected, right? Everything is affected. We think about that spiritually. A compromised heart can lead to all kinds of acceptance of all kinds of abhorrent and unbiblical things. A corrupted heart is capable of all kinds of sinfulness. Wouldn't you agree with that? What about a righteous heart? Like a healthy functioning heart does its job for the human body, a righteous heart values all human life as sacred, created by God. Knows redemption through forgiveness, therefore can forgive the inexcusable in others. And lastly, I believe a righteous heart is riddled with humility. Thinking of others before ourselves. Where's your heart this morning? 
What is God trying to do in your life? Are you going to let Him do so this morning? Do you need Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you need to make changes in your life that only God can do? Will you allow Him to do that this day? Take a look at your heart as we pray. As we have a time of invitation, I'm asking that you let God do what only He can. Thank you for joining the Friendship Family today. We know that your time is the most valuable item you have, and we are enormously grateful that you chose to share it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fbcms. Both can be found in the show notes below. If you would leave a rating or review for our new podcast, we would be very appreciative. And if you would share it with others, we would be eternally grateful. We pray that you have a God-filled day. And remember, love God, love people, and reach the world. Have a good day.